Chris Wendelkin, and this is On The Line, the NBA Finals podcast. Thanks for tuning in. If you're new to the show, you can tweet at me at OnTheLine underscore pod. Find us on Instagram. Check out previous episodes on our website, OnTheLinePodcast.com. Hop into a deep dive, a draft. It's all up there. Last, if you could please rate, review, subscribe to the show in Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get podcasts. I greatly appreciate it. All right, guys, the uh, the Toronto Raptors and Golden State Warriors are now tied up one game apiece. We are headed into game three of the NBA Finals on Wednesday night. On the show today, Ben and I are talking all things Raptors and Warriors, uh, all things NBA Finals. We're going to touch on LeBron. We're going to touch on the chaos with the Lakers. We're going to touch on Drake. We're going to touch on Durant. We're covering it all. I hope you enjoy it. Here is my conversation with the one, the only, Ben Craw. All right, we are back on the line. My co-host for the 2019 NBA Finals. Uh, he's back after the resounding success of last week's NBA Finals endorsement, Ben Craw. That's right, that's right. BC, the, the Toronto Raptors and Golden State Warriors are deadlocked at one game apiece. Uh, what a first couple of games it's been. How you doing? How you feeling? How's everything down in Philadelphia? Pretty wild. Things are good here. Um, I apologize if there's a slight hum in the uh, audio, in the background of my audio here. I've got the dryer going on uh, here in my uh, executive basement suite. Um, So uh, unfortunately that... Yeah, yeah, okay, that's good. Uh, That that was um, uh, out of my control, but... um, but yeah, wow, lots of basketball um, has happened since yes. our last recording. And, um, you know, I think it was a wise choice not to record directly after game one. Mm. Um, I sort of like, I think we both uh, agreed that, that uh, whatever, I guess, like it wasn't, we weren't, weren't really planning on doing it, but like it would have been so easy to be like, oh my God, that was amazing. We have to like yeah. get our reactions out there. And I know that we were both feeling very emotional about it as were uh, many people. Um, uh, but in a way, I think we, we kind of chose the, you know, the more, more uh, prudent and, mm. and kind of re- like measured approach to, you know what, let's give it two games to, to see how this series uh, shapes up and, and to kind of get a feel for it. Um, and, uh, yeah, as, as sad as it is for me to say it, I I feel like, you know, the emotional high that we were all riding after game one has kind of settled into a, okay, we've got a, we've got a bit of a fight on our hands here. Oh yeah. 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 I mean, obviously we knew it was not going to, you know, yeah, uh, I think we both knew game one was so fun. And I think we, you know, we were talking, texting, we were saying like, this is so great. It's so fun. But like, we, we both know this just, if all this really means is like, hopefully we're going to have a series it's not it's not gonna yeah. be like golden state's not gonna sweep uh neither of us thought toronto would win in any like sort of easy fashion so if nothing else i feel like you know the series is just bearing out kind of like yeah it's gonna be a good competitive series and yeah i think it's gonna be a dogfight. yeah um, i think it's interesting I, I don't know it feels like um feels like uh like emblematic of the the series and kind of the culture that we live in these days that like doesn't it feel as though um 
every after every game there's like a different narrative you know what i mean oh like, completely like yeah after game one it was like oh we told you the raptors were really good we told you you know like like it's, it's finally their time and like you know people it felt like people were like crowning them champs and then now yeah, after, yeah. everyone's <laughs> like oh my god they have to rush kevin durant back for game two right, they've got right. no chance against this ve- the vastly superior and more athletic team and then now uh, after game two golden states won it's like up oh, we told you man we told yeah. you those warriors they never it's die like, they never go uh, away it's like Maybe maybe they don't need Durant at all. Yeah. Uh, it, it turns out maybe they're totally cool. Maybe they don't even need Clay Thompson for no, that matter. No. Yeah. Yeah. And the truth is always somewhere in the middle. With as, of course, as, as is usually the case with these things. But um, yeah. So we have uh, we we just completed Game Two last night, Sunday night. We the series is now headed back to Golden State Oracle Arena for Games Three and Four. Um, right. It'll go back to Toronto for five, back to Oakland for game six, and then game seven, if necessary, would close out in Toronto. In Toronto. Yeah. That's right. So, Ben, we uh, so so the first two games of the series have happened since we spoke. Why don't we kind of, uh, I don't know, maybe we should like reflect a little bit about the first two games, make some big picture observations, and then we can talk about sort of long-term projections for kind of where we see the, the series going, interesting things we're keeping an eye on, things we like, things we don't like, all, all that all that fun stuff. Yeah. Um, I would start with the stats that kind of popped out to me the most um, mm-hmm. um, is, the, so the Warriors obviously lost game one and won game two. Yeah. Uh, interestingly, they scored the exact same number of points in both games. Oh, wow. uh, that would be 109, mm-hmm. except in game one, um, Toronto made uh, 39 field goals on 77 attempts. Um, that's uh, came out to 50% shooting for the game, um, which got them to 118 points. In game two... Uh, so I mentioned, uh, game one, that was 77 field goal Mm. attempts, just attempts Mm -hmm. in game two, Toronto had 94 field goal attempts, 94. Yeah. Um, and yet they made only 35, um, which is 37%. And that's why they only scored 104 points in game two. Um, and, uh, and lost the game. And it, it sounds kind of simple, but to me, it kind of just comes down to that like game one i mean obviously uh, uh, sort of symbolized and epitomized by mm-hmm. the completely insane and historic pascal siakam performance yep. um you know shooting 14 for 17 um but it just seemed like in game one they those guys were just all r- sort of riding that emotional high and feeding off of that energy and instead of making it making them tight or you know over exuberant or whatever it just kind of it just seems like it, it fed them into this like uh, fed into this momentum that they were all um, riding and it really it just like you know Pascal made his first shot Marcus all made his first like you know step back three pointer and suddenly they all just kind of had that collective confidence that they that they needed um and then for some reason it just w- wasn't there in game in game two you know they they still had a, a strong first half they were up most of the half by you know 10 points at, at one point um and that or maybe it was as much as 12 at one point uh in in the first half um but then what kind of swung it was that um you know a little mini run at the end of the second period uh, the Golden State made to cut it to only fi- a five-point lead at the half, and then that third quarter, um, where Toronto just went completely ice cold. I think they missed something like their first eight shots of the third, and had uh, five turnovers, um, 
in like their first like 12 possessions of the third quarter. Um, and it's not like Golden State did any like crazy, like they didn't, instead of doing their like, you know, typical like Golden State uh, scoring, uh, you know, avalanche uh, in the third period, which they've done in the past, it wasn't even really tr- uh, Golden State scoring as much as it was their defense um, and Toronto's just inability to to make a basket. And um, yeah, I think it was not until six something in the third that Fred Van Vliet hit a three pointer for, uh, for Toronto's first points yeah. of the, uh, of the entire period. Van Vliet for three. Finally! So yeah, that kind of decided the game right there. And yeah. then golden state just kind of hung on um, and just kept them at bay for the rest of the game. All right. A couple, a couple of thoughts on, on uh, the points you just made. I mean, it seems like, you know, we were talking uh, just a minute ago about like the reactionary, like, hot takes and culture that we live in now like yeah you know like as soon as one of one team wins a game we like create this narrative about like oh i guess they're gonna win the series and it really comes down to like key individual performances and for me it's often like performances by role players you know you, mm-hmm. you know what i mean like it's more times than not like you can ex- you can really rely on Kawhi leonard being good you can rely on steph curry being good you can rely on clay thompson being good guys like that but it's you know in game one it's like well if danny green is going to be back and and you know making threes and hitting these clutch shots and fred uh, fred van vliet is going to be this incredible and pascal siakam is going to be like what, what did you say shooting 13 for 17 from the field he was he was 14 of 17 14 of 17 uh, yeah then if, yeah. if 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 that's if that's how it's going to be uh, then obviously like yeah then they could very well win the series and just like in game two you know you had quinn cook hitting three humongous three pointers and you had mm-hmm. uh andrew bogut with like a couple of key key buckets uh mm-hmm. throughout the game and you know andre Iguodala making these obviously these these uh incredible shots so it it for me it really comes down to some of the role players um having these like really clutch moments right but, especially since most of golden state's roster is now made up exclusively of role players right, right. <laughs> since uh yeah, I mean, you know, Looney went down, uh, uh, Thompson went down. He's, you know, I guess qu- at this point he's still questionable for game three, even That's though he, right. yeah. you know, he's such a like nothing phases him type of dude where he's like, oh, of course I'll play. But I'm not quite as optimistic about that as he is. Yeah. Um, it seems like a pretty tricky injury, like a muscle pull or a strain. It sounds like Durant's not going to be back uh, for, for game three, most likely. So there's a solid chance here that Golden State could be playing uh, game three of an NBA Finals with uh, Steph Curry, a not 100% um, DeMarcus Cousins, a not 100% Andre Iguodala, and and Draymond, and that's and like and then a bunch of Alfonso McKinney's and Quinn yep. Cooks, yep. and um, yeah, I don't know. I mean. It's starting to feel like if Toronto doesn't steal that game, like they're in pretty serious trouble. Yep. Uh, let's talk a little specifically about game two. So you mentioned yeah. the 18-0 run. So um, there are a couple of things, like I, I, a couple of angles I want to take here. One is that like, I believe it was game six of the Warriors against the Rockets where mm-hmm. I felt like a similar narrative and thing was developing. And that was Clay Thompson's incredible first half. So... Mm. 
Clay Thompson essentially kept the Warriors in this game while Steph Curry seemingly had like the flu or food poisoning, whatever it was. Yeah, right. He Curry, was over the weather. Yeah, man. Curry looked awful. I mean, not just yeah. not just like his shots looked awful. Like he looked awful. Like he looked like green. Like he looked. Yeah. He looked actually sick. Yeah. And, Started the game 0 for five, I believe. Right, and went um, back to the locker room. I don't know if he got an IV or whatever it was. He, yeah, I think they said that they fed him some gels. Yeah, I heard I heard what, something about gels. Whatever, whatever that means and entails, like that sounds <laughs> to me like someone who's like dehydrated or you know what I mean, like right, right. I don't I don't know what the story is, but you know, I, I a narrative like a theme that I keep coming back to over the last couple of years is like how many times has Clay Thompson frankly like bailed his team out or like basically yeah. like kept them in the game yeah. when they should have been blown out and right. you know just when, quietly steps up yeah man when we talk about like when we talk about how Golden State won game two um, I think it's going to be easy to talk and point out about, you know, like Curry was great and Iguodala mm-hmm. hit the big three to clinch and the game. Of course, Boogie stepped up Boogie and played was incredible. You know, a lot of minutes. No one could have saw that coming, whatever, whatever. But really, like, yeah, without was Clay, Clay just without, like keeping them in striking dude, distance. Without Clay Thompson's first half, they're yeah. out of this game. And frankly, it's yeah. a miracle that they were even trailing. They, they were trailing by five points at the half, and they probably should have been trailing by like 15 or 20. That's how badly yeah, they Yeah, because they went on like a 6-0 run, I think, to close uh, in like the last like minute and a half of the second. Um, to, to put so it they, in perspective, um, the Warriors had an awful start to the game. They missed their first 20. They missed 20 of their first 28 shots. Damn. Yeah. They were yeah. that bad, <laughs> and, yeah. and and they were on the road, and like I said, they managed to keep it within five points at the half, and then you mentioned that uh, 18-0 run coming out of uh, cu- coming out of the half in the third. According to Elias, that 18-0 run is the longest run ever in NBA Finals history coming out of the Jesus. half. Yeah. Wow. That's okay. Right. Yeah, yeah. So, like, putting that in perspective, um, just like a historic, I mean, literally, like a historic run, and there are kind of two things at play there. I mean, I think partly it's like, yeah, I mean, Golden State was knocking down these shots, but the flip side of the coin is, like, Toronto just could not get anything to fall. Yeah, and then another um, aspect of, you know, I think, Clay quieted down offensively a little bit in the second half as uh, Curry kind of stepped up, um, you know, once he was feeling a little bit better, I guess. But um, but uh, what Clay did in the in the second half was um, defensively, I guess Curry made a made a a a shift at at halftime where Clay came out guarding Kawhi as the primary defender. Um, whereas, uh, I guess in the first half, it was like a combination of Draymond and Iggy that were guarding him. Um, and they made a, a switch so that Clay was, was, uh, was on Kawhi primarily and, um, you know, really seemed to bother him and slow him, slow him way down. Um, and that, um, you know, definitely contributed to, uh, to that ice cold streak that Toronto suffered, um, which is, yeah, I mean, that's another, again, another part of Clay's uh, kind of game that's usually overlooked um, where it's like, oh, he's out also can be, you know, like a lockdown defender if he, you know, for like certain stretches, at least he can kind of fill that role. So yeah, he's just invaluable. Um, and especially with that Durant around to, you know, kind of shoulder all that offensive burden. Um. Yeah, man. I mean, yeah, he's pretty been, nuts. He's been incredible. I'll also say, like, you know, so 
at, at a certain point during the, you know, like the, the coming out of the half, uh, Golden State takes this commanding lead. They blow the doors open. It looks like it's just going to be a blowout. But Toronto actually does rally back in the fourth, right? They cut, they cut the game all the way mm-hmm. down to two points with under a minute left. Yeah. And we should talk about the final possession for yes, we should. Golden State. So, um, let me ask you a question. Yeah, sure. How the fuck did Kawhi Leonard not steal that pass? Great question. Like, I, like as it was floating through the air, mm-hmm. you know, Curry gets trapped on the side. Um, you know, he's double teamed and, and has to give it up. Um, they're not fouling him, but they got like a really strong trap. So he floats one over the middle to Sean Livingston. Curry! Curry throws it! Livingston has it! Um, who, you know, is not really known as, like, a super aggressive, super athletic, hands-type guy. Um, and Kawhi Leonard is right there. And as it's floating through the air, I'm like, that's a steal that's for fun. a fast break, two yeah. points, tie game. Right. Like, I'm just like, like, even now as I'm, like, playing it back in my head, I, like, I can yep. see Kawhi intercepting yep. that pass. And somehow... Uh, Livingston just kind of like, you know, came to the ball and just kind of pushed forward. And it seems like he may have even fouled Kawhi slightly. I don't know, because he, he just like totally filled that space yeah. um, that, that Kawhi was in and, and kind of like spun him a little bit um, and kind of knocked him. And then, of course, yeah, d- dished it right to uh, to Iguodala for the for the dagger three-pointer that, that ended the game. Livingston has it! Back to Iguodala! Iguodala puts it up! It's gone! Andre Iguodala drills it with five a couple things happened on this possession that I think we should talk about that are super interesting. So, for one, yeah. Golden State is bringing up the ball. They have a two-point lead. There's, I want to say, 25 seconds left. Coach mm-hmm. Dork. Right. There, it's a few seconds uh, um, uh, the over shot the clock. shot clock. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Coach Dork makes the decision to not foul. He's just going to play lockdown defense, which... Well, we're not totally sure because it sounds like they were trying to get a foul on Draymond, Draymond right? but they just couldn't get it to him. They couldn't get to him soon enough. But um, the thing is, he had, like, I thought that they made this decision to not foul because Draymond had the ball at the top mm-hmm. of the key on the right side, on the on the right hash at the top of the key and passed it off to Curry. So if they want right. if the if the game went if the game plan was to put Draymond on the foul line, they needed to get that foul in quick. So yeah. Draymond gets it out of his hands, shoots it over to Curry. So now Curry is trapped at the top of the key by Fred Van Vliet and Pascal. And mm. he's in trouble. And actually, you know, Curry nearly turns the ball over. He manages to escape the trap, but Freddie, I mean, Freddie nearly stole the ball from him, and between him and Pascal, someone was going to have a wide-open, open-court layup. Mm-hmm. Um, but Curry manages to escape the trap, dribbles out of it, and then he telegraphs this pass that you're talking about to Livingston, and it's an absolute just meatball. Oh, yeah. And, man, like, I... Big I, floater down the middle. I was certain, yeah. I mean, same with you, like, I, I was certain that Kawhi was just going inter- to intercept that pass. I mean, if there's, like... One guy in the league that I think of as like this guy could actually be like an NFL safety or NFL cornerback. Yeah, he, he could he could steal that pass out of the air with one hand and then just like yeah, like it, he didn't even need yeah. Kawhi and LeBron are uniquely qualified in that way defensively to just like yeah. snatch the ball out of the air. Yeah, 
Anyway, Livingston manages to hang on. He finds Iggy for the wide open three, the dagger. And right. I mean, Iguodala had all day out there. I mean, literally. Yeah, and you could tell he was almost like, is this a good idea to shoot? Because yeah. they still had, I think, five seconds left on the shot That's clock. That's right. Almost um, like in his head a little bit. Like he like yeah. had like two or three like clutches, pumps, and then it was like, eh, fuck it. I'm just going to yeah, shoot. Yeah, but he was just so open. open. And yeah. and it's like the, the whole Raptor team like knew like, oh, we're not rushing out to contest that. Right. It's, like it's, if he hits that, then we deserve to lose. And, yeah. Yeah. And, and they did. And I think Nurse... Nick Nurse said after the game, like, that's a shot we'll live with. You know, like, obviously, mm-hmm. Iguodala is not, like, a, a, a deadly three-point shooter right. at this point in his career. Um, and, you know, hey, it's better than a layup. It's better than, you know, something they they still... Uh, you know, it, it's better than putting Curry on the on the free throw line. It's the the probabilities there were you know about as favorable as you can ask for um, for Toronto. But yes. Iggy just fucking made a clutch shot. So the series is all tied up one to one. We should talk about the implications of some of these injuries moving forward and yeah. kind of like <laughs> how that's going to take hold and take effect in the series. Uh, I think we're waiting for more detailed information at this point on the nature of Clay Thompson's thigh injury, quad injury, whatever it is, some sort of upper leg injury, some sort of muscular upper leg injury. He landed awkwardly after taking a three-point attempt early in the fourth and limped off the court and uh, seemed awfully mad and upset. Uh, So, you know, hopefully for the sake of the series, it's nothing too serious and he's back out there for game three. Yeah, I believe he's going to have an an MRI today, although it looks like the results of that aren't out yet. Clay Thompson is obviously such a key, fun player. And I mean, he's a warrior. I mean, literally, he's a warrior, man. Like he, (laughs) this is a guy that like battles through injuries. He's very much an Iron Man. So I would be surprised if he's not out there. It did look kind of serious. Steve Kerr said they're going to play it, you know, cautiously. So we'll wait and see on him. We're waiting on Kayvon Looney um, to hear about the nature of his chest and, and shoulder injury. And then, man, we should talk about DeMarcus Cousins. Um, yeah. So Cousins was put in the starting lineup. As, as, as we're talking about injuries, um, you know, this is actually a really nice story of a guy who is put into the starting lineup for game two by Steve Kerr. And he came through in a major way, 11 points, 10 rebounds, six assists. Uh, I couldn't be happier for this guy, man. I mean, like, he had that devastating injury uh, a couple rounds back where it looked like he had maybe torn his, uh, fully torn his his quadricep muscle. Yeah. And um, it's just, it's awesome to see him out there playing. He's obviously not fully healthy, but, I mean, last night, game two, he played 28 minutes. Uh, again, he was a plus 12 when he was on the court. Definitely got to be happy for the guy, you know? I mean, no matter how you feel about these Warriors and the dynasty, yada, yada, however sick you are of them, like, Boogie is a guy you just, like, have to root for after, you know, battling back from everything he said to battle back from and, like, losing so much goddamn money uh, yeah. in his career due to these injuries. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, it really did make me just kind of, like... Like, you know, however I felt about the outcome of the game, I was like, all right, at least Boogie's, like, got something to to be happy about. And I don't know, you know? Yeah. Like, that dude deserves it. Yeah. And then, uh, I mean, this is not an injured guy, but I feel like maybe someone we haven't really talked enough about on the pod yet is Draymond Green. Um, mm-hmm. Draymond was fantastic in game two. He, yep. you know. One, one assist shy of, I believe, his, like, fifth straight triple-double. Fourth straight triple-double. So fourth straight. 17 points, 10 rebounds, nine assists. He misses his fourth straight triple-double by one assist. And, uh, 
Yeah, man, there were just so many heroes. There were so many heroes for Golden State in game two between Klay Thompson, Cousins giving big minutes. We mentioned Quinn Cook had three gigantic three-pointers, including an absolute dagger with about eight minutes left um, in the fourth quarter. Cousins to Cook. Cook tries it. Cook knocks it down. Cook off the bench with his second three-pointer. I love how Quinn Cook is competing. And shooting. And hitting. Three three-pointers for Cook. And a lead back up to 10. Just tremendous performance by this guy. Um, Andrew Bogut. Uh, Bogut, like, you know, just had, I think it was like six, maybe, maybe six points off the bench. Yeah, yeah, six yeah, points. Yeah, six points in seven minutes. Six points in seven minutes. Just, I mean, it, it doesn't sound like the biggest deal in the world, but like if you watch the game, you know, like, God damn it, that, that is so annoying, those those points. And then, right, um, he's a guy that, that normally wouldn't even have be playing finals minutes. Yeah, and then, uh, and then Iggy, of course, we, we mentioned Iggy. He always just seems to be in the right place at the right time, hits down the big shots, always making the key play. And he still, I mean, he still has that defensive, you know, energy and intensity that we love. So the Warriors have won 12 straight game ones. And mm-hmm. this was the first time they played from behind in a finals series since they mm. were trailing the Cavs two games to one in 2015. So I have to say, man, it, mm. was, it was actually pretty interesting to see the Warriors with their backs against the wall. Like we don't, mm-hmm. we haven't really seen that in a while, especially in the NBA finals, you know? Right, right. And we are sort of like remembering a bit about the Warriors and like seeing them, you know, we're just like, we're, we're learning like that they still have a lot of fight left. So I will say kind of, I like don't even really know if I ever like trust that feeling though of like having their backs against the wall quote unquote because i it's it feels to me like uh, they won um uh you know i guess they've won f- what four out of their last five ga- no uh wait if you include portland they've won seven out of their last eight games mm. right because they mm. won the final two against houston uh then four straight against portland then lost one and won one um correct me if i'm wrong have they been leading at halftime in any of those games i i like don't think i remember them being up at the half wow. in like a basketball game right and like that's incredible i don't know like four three weeks four weeks like uh, like maybe one of the games against portland they were up at the half by a couple but it i it just feels like every single game and whatever i mean they've been doing this going back to last season and the season before where they you know they're famous for their third quarters and stuff but um but it's almost like I, it doesn't like them having their backs against the wall is just like how they normally play. Um, and when it's on like, you know, a, a macro level of like games in a series, yeah. it, it just almost feels to me like with it, like the, the game, um, like within a, a, a individual game where it's like, Oh, they, they can be down. Like it doesn't really matter. Like they're just so they've earned your trust uh, at this point. Yeah. Like, like and, being and a they're, game they're, down isn't like a, a concern for you. Huh? Right. And they're just so dangerous and they're so like, resilient at this point that i'm just kind of like like literally until they lose i'm not ever gonna believe that they are <laughs> gonna lose you know totally. um i don't know it's yeah it's I, a, I feel like um as as a fan my my faith in them is definitely being tested if for only reason just because like it just seems like 
the the gods or like fate is like just saying is is almost like testing them being like right well can can you still win you know can you win without durant now can you win without clay thompson like what about (laughs) what about if uh steph curry has the flu right what What if you don't have home court advantage uh, in the series yeah what what if we take away home court advantage or yeah you know what if uh yeah i mean like what what if uh we only give you boogie cousins for you know 10 minutes a night can you still win right it's just like man at, at a certain point i got to believe there it's just it's interesting to me it just feels like the ensemble for toronto is so strong i mean it's just yeah. so apparent now that you know golden state really is a team made of a handful of stars and role players and i would say on the toronto side of the ledger it's it's really it's it's really Kawhi and a cast of like very 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 good yeah, um, you know, extremely like, capable second bananas, secondary, yeah. secondary players. Yeah, yeah, and but lots of them. Yeah, and lots of them. Whether it's you know even like guy, like a guy like Norman Powell is is playing like incredibly well. Yeah. in the limited minutes or Norman Norman Powell a plus thirteen I mean, in twenty one minutes in game two. Fred, Van <laughs> he was actually yeah like like arguably like their most effective player. Fred, in, I mean Vliet. you know limited minutes. Dude, but. Fred Van Vliet has been incredible at this point. I would mm-hmm. say like he is their sixth man, and it's yeah at times. I mean, he's arguably more important than than Kyle Lowry right now it's, because of the defense he's playing on Curry. This is according to Blake Murphy of The Athletic. He said, Van Vliet once again drew uh, heavy Curry duty, holding him to nine points on one of four shooting in 38 possessions. And he said, Van Vliet has been by far the best Curry defender uh, in terms of you know the postseason so far and uh, deterring him uh, to nearly half of his usual shooting volume. That's insane. Yeah, man. Um, so, so Fred Van Vliet's been incredible. Uh, obviously, Pascal had the incredible first game. He came back, you know, came, came, came yeah, all the way back, back to, to earth uh, back to earth two, i would say five, five for five for 18 in game two you know that's just regression hardcore regression right there like to the see, mean you know gasol be a little bit more assertive we'd love to see ibaka get involved more but mm-hmm. um you know and lowry with just like a lot of really dumb fouls yes. he fouled out in fouled game, two, out game two played only 27 minutes um yeah. Yeah, just they they need a lot more from him if they're gonna win for sure. But going forward, it I mean, does seem like you know it's gonna be a test of like, can the Warriors stay healthy, and can the secondary players for the Raptors step up and take some of the responsibility off Kawhi's shoulders? Yeah, yeah. I mean, no matter what, it's it, the series is at the point now where I'd really do like. If if Golden State was fully healthy, I would be like, okay, they've got this. But like with everything that they have going on, like it does really feel like a fucking toss up at this point. Like, yeah, it also feels like one game at a time. I mean, I mean, yeah. I know that's so cheesy and cliche, but it real like it, any like either scenario, Golden State winning or Toronto winning in the next game, like you could totally wrap your head around, right? Like you yeah, would not be easily. surprised with either one of those things. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. It'll be very interesting moving forward. Um, Ben, I wanted to touch on a couple of stories from around the league the past week. Um, Mm. so where should we begin? I mean, we can, do you want to, I mean, do you want to do Drake corner? Um, should we do, I guess we could just get that out of the way with quickly. I I don't know. I mean, (laughs) okay. (laughs) I'm like already, I'm already sick of this, of this brand new segment that we're debuting, uh, called Drake corner. Corner. Um, yeah, it's, it seems appropriate. Um, you know, as a. Uh, as a responsible basketball podcast, we have to devote a certain amount of our coverage to Drake, right. um, who is not, in fact, a basketball player, 
um, but uh, but seems to be more important and um, and noteworthy than at least sixty uh, percent of the rosters on the respective finals teams. Um, yeah, he uh, he of course uh, had had words with Draymond Green right. following the game one victory. I think it's also and, important uh, to note, and so in game one, Drake was wearing Del Curry's jersey, the purple yes, Raptors jersey for tor- game one. His Toronto, uh, the Toronto Del Curry jersey, and then, which I will say, I was like, that's a that's a pretty good uh, troll yes. job. Like, I, I like that. I like having the name Curry with the number thirty, but in a Toronto jersey. Yes, and like. And like just the, I mean, whatever. It doesn't fucking matter. It's a nerd wearing a jersey on the sidelines. It's not like it affects the game in any way. But I was like, okay, respect uh, for for that kind of. Well, you know. And then in game two, gamesmanship. And then and then in game two, Drake was wearing. I don't know if you you saw this. He was wearing a sweatshirt, and on the back yeah, the Home of the Alone. Sweatshirt, it was Kevin McAllister from Home Alone doing the yes. the famous Macaulay Col- the famous Macaulay Culkin hands on the face, jaw dropped, scream. Beneath it captioned, Kevin! Um, and of course... But here's the thing. Yeah. That doesn't make sense to me because w- shouldn't the face actually be of uh, of Mrs. McAllister, of Kevin's mom? Um, with oh, of course. With, the, with the, the surprise wide-eyed face on the on the airplane? Of course. I mean, I mean she duh, she's the one that mother. yelled... Um, I feel like that would have been a, a, a deeper cut and, and, and funnier than just doing the obvious Macaulay Remind Culkin. Me, so the McAllisters were going on vacation in Paris. Is that what the story was? Was it Paris? It was definitely it was definitely Europe. It was a very long plane ride. Yes. I want to say maybe London, but it could have been Paris. Yeah. 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 Wait, it wasn't it France? Because what what was the whole, as the French say, les compétents? Listen, Kev, what are you so worried about? You know mom's going to pack your stuff anyway. You're what the French call les incompetents. What? Oh, yeah, that rings the bell doesn't now. That, yep, yep, yep. Doesn't that ring yep. the bell when one of Kevin's cousins? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, 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 sure. Yeah. Okay, so that there you go. So that it was a, it was a, a Christmas trip to Paris. That's right. Um, Wait, one last question about that, Ben. Were mm. did Mrs. McAllister realize in the air she was on the airplane when she realized that Kevin wasn't there? Right? Oh, yeah, yeah. They were fully uh 30,000 feet in the air. Oh my um, goodness. I have that feeling. We forgot something? No, I don't think we did, but I... Oh, I just have that feeling. Bad memories, that's all. We did everything. We brought everything. We have everybody. There's nothing to worry about. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. You're right. We're fine. Nothing to worry about. I, I think she may have even been, like, waking up from a nap. Uh, I'm not right. sure if she... Yes. Wasn't didn't she have the uh, the 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 eye? She had like the eye um, cover. It's possible. Yeah, I, like I she think she like, may have gotten in a full nap before before realizing. she sprung up. She sprung up in her seat, right? Yeah, because sure. Mr. McAllister was like reading a magazine, and oh, he couldn't be bothered. He didn't he give a shit. Could not yeah. have cared less. And yeah, then no. Mrs. he was on vac- He was in vacation mode all the way. Yeah. Oh, um, man. And and uh, Mrs. McAllister um, just sprung up in her seat. Yeah, played by the uh, fantastic oh. shit. What was her, the actress's name? Um, Catherine, uh, Mo- uh, Catherine Catherine O'Hara. Yeah, yeah. Yes, fantastic yeah. actress. Love her. Just um, the best. I, I don't know if anyone out there watches um, Shit's Creek. Creek. Yeah. yeah. 
like a pretty dumb show, but um, but it's actually like kind of sneaky good I at bet. times. Yeah, and it's mostly because of her. She's she's the best. I love her. Love love Catherine O'Hara. Okay, so yeah, yeah Drake was wearing the Kevin McAllister uh, sweatshirt. Kevin on the back. And then, of course, uh, in game one, Drake was sparring with, with Draymond after, mm-hmm. after the Raptors won. Mm-hmm. Then, made made a, a very, very meme-worthy face where he did yes. like the little like fake smile. Yep. And then in game two, I sent you a clip. I don't know if you had a chance to look at I, this. I did, yes. Actually, Kevin Durant, <laughs> I watched the clip you sent and the much longer. I found like a two-and-a-half-minute version oh, really? on like Twitter. Okay. Um, what's amazing to me about that clip is that Correct me if if so. This is Kevin uh, you, Durant waiting in, 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 yeah, the, Durant, in the locker room as Drake Durant walks and, by and, and Clay Thompson and Clay. in the in the tunnel in the tunnel. That's right. Um, not not in the locker room yet, but like right outside the um the or right inside rather the entrance to the tunnel out onto the court. So someone took a video of them just inside the tunnel and they're you know high fiving their teammates as they walk off the court. Um, you know Clay uh, obviously Durant's inactive, so he he'd been back there. Um. And uh, and Clay was back there with getting treatment to his um, hamstring. He had a bag of ice around his leg, the back of his leg. Um, so they're both back in the tunnel and they're high fiving and hugging t- their their teammates as they come out off of the court through the tunnel. But then, correct me if you interpreted this differently. It seemed like they were literally waiting around for Drake. <laughs> like their like their teammates had like kind of stopped trickling through. Yeah, and the two of them were kind of pacing back and forth, uh-huh. and I swear to God, it I almost thought I heard one of them say like, "It's Drake. Where it's Drake. is he? Is he coming?" <laughs> yeah, and then another guy. They were like almost uh-huh. about to like give up and like w- and like walk back to the locker room, yeah. but then some other, um, you know, whatever, like arena staff or or whatever member of Drake Drake's detail or something like that was like, "Oh, here comes Drake," and they literally like spun around and they're like, "Oh, cool, he's here. Now we can talk shit to him." <laughs> So Kevin uh, Durant, that is, uh, peeks his head around the corner and uh, and and has some some choice words for for Aud- Audrey as he called him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Aubrey, Audrey, Aubrey. Aubrey sorry, not yeah. a, not a yeah. Aubrey, not Audrey. <laughs> Audrey's a woman's name. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it I guess that's man. I mean, the yeah. power struggle between Drake and these NBA coaches and players continues. Right. He Dork, large. of course, was nowhere to be seen. Um, be seen. Yeah. In, in this in this tunnel um, showdown. Now he's uh, above cl- this sort of stuff. Cl- yeah, clearly like, he has better things to do with his time yeah. than than um, you know concern himself with, with these sort of silly dalliances. So uh, I, I have a question. I gotta believe that Drake is gonna. I mean, does Drake show up at Oracle in in the Bay Area, or does I mean, he, he stay- has to, right? I, like, I feel like he has kind of presented himself at this point as like a Spike Lee level kind yeah. of radical, like radicalized fan, where he's going to yeah. show up in enemy territory, or does or does or does Drake stay back home and do another pep rally in Jurassic Park? I don't know. Ugh. I mean. I feel like he, I feel like if he's at this if point, he's really he worth the salt, he owes it. Yeah, he needs to show up and get booed. You know, like yeah, I think, yeah. Like that's really I, what he needs to. I want to. I I need to see him interacting with some with some Bay Area fans. Um, I mean, I don't know. At this point, I almost feel like if he doesn't, it's it's a real shot to his manlyhood frankly yeah his credibility. credibility yeah, yeah. Totally, totally um i mean all right let's move on from drake that's we've given drake corner plenty of time all right we did it um <laughs> let's let's touch real quick ben on um kevin uh the the aforementioned kevin so durant M- McAllister or durant durant, uh, durant okay yeah. durant so yeah, yeah. durant is suddenly back in the mix here i mean this guy mm-hmm. has to be absolutely thrilled that mm. you know golden state once again facing some adversity Mm-hmm. Um, 
look, they would do be, it. They would be thrilled to have him back on the court. I gotta believe. Now, you think his teammates would? Sure, but is is uh, his father Steve? Steve um, Kerr. Is he done punishing Kevin? Do you think? I I am not. I I I gotta say, I don't know. I I really don't know if. I think deep down inside, Steve Kerr wants. I I don't think he he wants the grounding to continue. I don't. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like Kevin has not served enough time, uh, hasn't served enough of a punishment to. It's get out of it but it's a real parenting conundrum and i say this as a as a fellow parent um what would you uh, you know you were in this predicament and your son was really naughty and did something really really bad and you told him here's the question for three weeks but you really needed him to win a game after two weeks would you give him uh, you know one week early uh parole well when you when you think about discipline um especially the discipline of a child um the the question you know the most important question is really has the child learned his or her his lesson, lesson right i mean that is ultimately the point of discipline the point of punishing punishing mm. um is to um you know obviously you're not just a sadist you're not you're not doing it to to get well. some sort of sick satisfaction uh you know unless you are but um <laughs> but i don't i don't believe that, that steve parents like that nope. i think he's a he's a good guy um but but you know he clearly he's he's trying to teach kevin a lesson of course he's trying to instill some character mm-hmm. um some you know some pride some discipline he's trying to teach and, him about being a good teammate yeah being a good teammate and a good person and a, a good, good person. sharer a good at sharing um, he has to teach him how yeah. to share and just yeah. teach him how to be a how good to, boy how to be how to be patient how and be respectful patient. around yep. others how to have um, good manners yeah to- all that Please stuff and thank um, you yeah yep so um so so you know the the question is do you, do we think Kevin has learned all those things and I really I can't say for certain that he has I don't think um, he has I'm going to be honest with you I mean the way that yeah. he behaved when in you, terms of exa- like when, when you, we just think about Drake like the way he What we just talked about yeah. you look at that behavior in the tunnel and I don't I don't see it I don't a, see a I don't see the child who knows how to play well with others yeah, any of that I don't see it man I I I do not I do not see a humble Kevin I see right. I see an arrogant Kevin I see I see a selfish Kevin and yeah, a, bra- a bratty, a bratty Kevin. Kevin, a bratty a yeah. Kevin who doesn't want to share his toys. Kevin, mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, ex- uh, but you know, I uh, fear, uh, I do fear, Ben, that we are at the tipping point here where Kevin knows he has the upper hand with yes. his father, Steve Kerr, and you just get this sense all of a sudden. Guess who's eating? Guess who's eating uh, garbage food? Guess who's eating candy and, <laughs> and treats and not eating his vegetables and staying up past his bedtime and playing video yep. games, even yep. when his mother told him he wasn't allowed to and he only I, had to do his homework. Yeah. You get the sense I, that Kevin I, is pushing back against the authority. It wouldn't surprise me at all to hear that Kevin is jumping on his bed, um, past lights out past, and, right. and, and banging on his walls. Um, and he's doing that, and he's doing that because he knows that he has the upper hand, and and that right. and that his dad really just doesn't have uh, any he's alternatives. Lost control. He's, yeah, his um, dad's lost control. I think I yeah. think so. I think it's a I think it's a household that is in you know it's frankly a, a chaotic state, yeah. and um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's a really be... tough conundrum. I don't envy um, dad, you know, dad's position there. I think it's really tough, um, and. Um, 
I mean, I, I, hey, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping for the best. I'm pulling for him, but I, I know from experience, it's not easy. It's I not easy. With, with I am fascinated to see how this shapes up going forward. Obviously, we are waiting to hear on the state of Kevin Durant's health. I believe. Did you say Durant's going to be getting an MRI in the next day or two on his? No, that was uh, that was Clay. Oh, Clay's okay. getting the MRI on his hamstring. Well, I think um, I, I think I read somewhere that basically Kerr, uh, Kevin Durant's father, Steve Kerr, said that he would not be able to play in a game without getting through one complete practice Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. game three is on wednesday night so that Mm -hmm. basically leaves us for practice on tuesday if kevin can practice tomorrow then he would be eligible under his father steve kerr's system if he practices on tuesday then he'll be eligible to play on wednesday if he practices like a good boy like a good boy and obeys the rules he can't just show up to practice and demand the ball and take all the shots he has to pass right he can't steal the ball from others he has to do all of the stretches he has to do everything everyone else on the team does all of his exercises all of the exercises yes and he can't call out he has to raise his hand and he has to Mm -hmm, share his mm -hmm. toys and if he can do that then he'll be eligible to play so we are uh, we're in a holding pattern waiting to see on Kevin Durant yes we will see what happens yes yeah It'll be interesting. Um, ben, before we sign off, do you, uh, I mean, your call, do we Do we want to touch on LeBron uh, and the cigars? Do we want to touch on, on Baxter Holmes? I don't know. Uh, yeah, obviously there's been a lot going on uh, outside of these uh, very intriguing finals. Uh, the Lakers drama continues, yeah. the LeBron James drama within the Lakers drama. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm not sure exactly what I'm intrigued by more, um, whether it's LeBron's uh, latest mm. Instagram story mm. um, or if it's the, the Baxter Holmes piece, um, which if anyone out there who's listening has not yet read, absolutely read it. It's, incre- it's an incredible piece of reporting. Yeah. Uh, well, this is the same ESPN reporter that, that wrote the, the you know, mass, massive yeah. story on Greg Popovich and the Spurs and their culture of uh you know wine and food and and actually uh proper team building and team management um when we start when we start there with Baxter Holmes and the Lakers then we could talk more specifically about LeBron and the cigars and the crowns sure um, okay so let's let's zoom out first with with the Baxter Holmes Lakers piece and we can keep this as long as short as we want i mean i i i read the Baxter piece uh for the second time today and, oh really? Wow. Yeah, and, and I watched um, all the clips of Magic Johnson talking with Michael Wilbon and Stephen A. Smith, and yeah, I mean, nothing more to say than just obviously, like it's really troubling, it's really concerning. I think it's like obviously really terrible that there's a workplace and a culture where people feel intimidated, and you know, we all deserve. I think, like we talked about, we all deserve to work in a place where people are held accountable and and yeah. decisions are made for you know decisions are made with like evidence and support, and things aren't just like sort of done on a whim and um and it was just it was just really concerning to hear about some of the decisions that were being made within the Lakers, but also to read about like the culture of the team and the culture of just frankly like intimidation and fear. Obviously, really upsetting and concerning for one of the marquee uh, franchises in the NBA. Right. I mean, to me, reading that piece, uh, it kind of hit me for the first time that um, you know, obviously, anyone who's not a Lakers fan has kind of. Um, you know, giddily uh, gobbled up all of this, mm. you know, fun 
hilarious uh yeah. you know shit show dumpster fire circus would act whatever you want to call it and the, and the schadenfreude is is just like you know uh you know so satisfying if if you're a person that enjoys that kind of thing but reading that piece kind of for the first time I, it hit me like yeah this is actually a little bit like sadder and like yeah. more troubling than like it's not just um there like, are real oh, look people at this. involved like it's right yeah. and, it, and it actually like made me feel bad for the people that work in that organization yeah. um uh, you know, going above and beyond my personal enjoyment of watching the the train wreck on um, kind of unfold, um, I was like, "Wow!" Like Magic Johnson seems like a really, really shitty dude to work for, um, and I would be probably terrified and miserable if I worked for him. And Rob Palinka seems like an absolute fucking sociopath, and it's like, um, yeah, it it actually I don't know, not to be all like, mm. um, like sort of. Pollyanna-ish about it, but like you know, whatever. Or like NBA organizations, like any really high-level business, are cutthroat, and they're supposed to be. You know, it's not supposed to be a cushy, easy job. Um, yeah. But but like people are supposed to be treated like human beings, and you know, like not made to feel like if like the sl- the slightest misstep, they're going to be fired. And um, I don't know. It just uh, yeah, it struck me. And then on top of all that, um, you have uh, Stephen A. Smith, um, who is a uh, fellow ESPN employee, a colleague of Baxter Holmes, uh, go on uh, on his show. And the very day that um, Baxter's uh, piece is published, and by the way, mind you, this was a, I don't know, what, 9,000 word piece, something like something, uh, you know, uh, yeah. that took him months and months and months to report. He was actually working on this piece at the same time as his um, Popovich story which was equally uh sprawling and um and uh you know clearly this guy is like just couldn't be a a more professional serious journalist um who really does just like incredible stuff um and uh and and deserves like respect especially from like his actual colleagues his fellow uh the, the people that work at the same companies he does and Stephen A. Smith goes on on the air and shits all over him, and um, you know clearly because he's a friend of Magic's is just like this story, blah blah blah. I can't believe it's on the front page of ESPN.com, blah blah blah, and uh, proceeds to shit all over the work of his colleague Baxter Holmes, and on top of that, shit all over the notion of you know mental health and and yeah. um, and the the victims in Baxter's article. Uh, he, Stephen A. Smith just proceeds to completely dismiss and and marginalize and and just like fuck. And yeah. you know, blow off um, uh, because Magic Johnson is cool, and he's coming on Stephen A. Smith's show later that day, so he has to act like the um, this piece of 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 journalism that, like, no matter whether you're a Lakers fan or not, like, you have to read that and be like, wow, like, this is eye-opening, this is mm-hmm. really uh, important. Uh, yeah, for anyone and, listening and, who maybe doesn't know what Ben's referring to, there are several uh, several former Laker staffers who are cited in the piece who go on record as saying is they had, like, ang- massive anxiety attacks over the last yeah, couple one, of years, one of whom worked in the organization as a staffer for 20 years and resigned uh, after being like berated by Magic Johnson, had to get prescribed like anxiety medication, had no previous history with like anxiety attacks or panic attacks, anything like that. So, I mean, it's pretty, pretty alarming, pretty eye opening stuff. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Uh, obviously, Magic's not there anymore since he <laughs> resigned in hilarious fashion. Um, so, a little like part of this is just kind of like, oh, well, I guess he's gone. The problem is solved. But like, 
he, you know, it's, it's not, not like, solved yeah, all, all, all of his, uh, you know, because ultimately um, like the problem isn't really, ma- I mean, the problem like kind of was magic Johnson, but really the, the problem actually was, is like the institutional enablement of, of right. Exactly. Of what magic Johnson was yep. permitted to do. It was the company that empowered him right. and, and, um, and, and just completely, um, enabled him to do what he did. And, and, and then created the culture around him where everyone under him was terrified to speak out about it. Um, I mean, frankly, knowing, it, f- it falls squarely like on Jeannie Buss. Jeannie Buss, you know absolutely, I mean? like 100%. It, it, she is the owner. She is the one in charge. Yeah. And clearly she is in way over her head. And um, yeah, I mean, the fact that like basically, you know, as the story um, notes, it's it's uh, Linda Rambis, who people refer to as like the secret owner of the team. Yeah, the shadow owner, which like, t- you know, gives her a real thrill. Um, and, you know, as Jeannie's best friend, she basically is able to like <laughs> make major decisions and convince Jeannie uh, what to do. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, it just... Until she's gone, until something major changes, and we're not even getting into like Rob Polinka and his like the fucking litany of insane stories about the Heath Ledger his thing. just like yeah, I mean the Heath Ledger thing, and but like so many things uh, you know beyond that where he's clearly just a fucking pathological liar. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't surprise me at all as like the agent of eighteen years of Kobe Bryant. Like, how could you not be a psychopath? Like, I don't know. Just really. Um, I mean, the fact that like every other agent basically hates him um, uh, doesn't really surprise me. And yeah, it just seems like a real shit show. And um, it was fun for a long time. And now it feels a little less fun. Yeah. um, Thanks to this incredible work of Baxter Holmes. Yeah. Um, Oh, and uh, just one more time, once and for all, fuck Stephen A. Smith. I have a question for you. He is a piece of shit. Yeah. And, you know, like... Again, he's another guy that I that I used to have uh, some fun, kind of enjoying as like a it's comical, like a wacko, yeah, yeah, sideshow. But like, he actually sucks and is kind of an evil piece of shit. So fuck off, Stephen A. Smith. Forever. So do we feel like ESPN is culpable in any way for some of oh, yeah. stuff? Like, I mean. You know, Absolutely. on, on the there, one there's... hand, they're, they are definitely like the corporation institution that gave Baxter Holmes the green light to do this great investigative work. Right. But on, on, which is awesome. Which is awesome. And yeah. it's great for them because it's like, you know, Baxter wrote not like... I don't think Baxter was trying to write like a hit piece, but like, frankly, he wrote a piece that like painted the one of the if not the most important organization in the nba in a really negative light which frankly is like very gossipy and juicy and that's mm-hmm, on the mm-hmm. front page of espn.com mm-hmm. but then they're the same organization that that very same day has magic johnson go on their airwaves and like mm-hmm. shit all over the piece so it's like well mm-hmm. you can't really have it both ways you know what i mean like, oh yeah like and and it it kind of you kind of see ESPN for what they are, which is like at the end of the day, they're just in it for the clicks, right? Like they're, oh, of course. they're just in it for like people clicking on the article. They're in it for people watching their, you know, sports center or whatever Stephen A. Smith show that magic Johnson was on. And it's kind of sick and gross because you ultimately see that they really don't ha- like, they're not taking a stance in any of this. They just want as much, attention and traffic on their website and on their television network as humanly possible. Yeah, that's right. And and we're not saying they necessarily should take a stance. Um, right. You know, obviously, like, uh, they are a 
a quasi-journalistic uh, organization, I would say. Um, I, you know, clearly they employ journalists and editors who do really, really good, strong, serious um, journalistic work. Uh, Baxter Holmes, you know, f- front and center among them um, and, and his editors. Um, and, uh, it, and yeah, so it's totally cool and uh, encouraging that they were, they enabled that type of journalism. Uh, which probably did make a lot of people uncomfortable to be like, oh, wow, we're really going to run this stuff. Um, You know, when obviously as an organization, we need all the access we can get to the Lakers and all that yada, yada. Um, But also I'm sure that they balance, they did the calculation in their head and they're like, well, sure, this might make some of us a little bit squeamish, but this is going to be a huge fucking story. Mm -hmm. That's going to generate tons and tons of traffic to our website and uh, create tons of hours of content on our television networks and uh, so on and so forth. So they, did the math and I'm sure they were like, sure, this will work for us. Yeah, and then we're selling, on top of that, they have ads either way. Right. Yeah. And then they have Stephen A. Smith to kind of balance things out and be the fucking psycho on the other end of, um, you know, of the seesaw, like yelling and screaming against, uh, Baxter Holmes and the work that he did. Um, and they were also, I'm sure that there were some in the organization who were like, that's really not cool. That's actually like, kind of fucked up especially uh you know the the notion of um of trying to you know silence or minimize uh journalism in in the day and age that we live in mm. is uh is pretty deeply troubling um i mean whatever i'm not trying to equate Stephen a smith with donald trump but um but like the fact that um your point is a good there's one, no sort of like, self-awareness at all yeah. to be like hey maybe we actually like try to empower journalists mm-hmm. um as as a journalistic company um but whatever Stephen a smith is probably Probably the you know one of the most high highest rated whatever he gets the highest ratings of, of among any ESPN personalities so they don't want to like you know try to silence him in any way or or uh, uh, oh, by the way did you see that see that fucking um, thing that Stephen A Smith tweeted where he was at game two of the Raptors game and he tweeted out that he met Barack Obama who was also in attendance and the thing that Stephen A Smith asked him was whether or not he should tone it down. Uh, and Obama was like, nah, man, whatever's working for you is working, so you shouldn't. And Stephen A. Smith was like, there you go. If Barack Obama says it, then I'm not going to tone it down. It's like, all right, dog, you right. met the former president of the United States of America, and your first question to him was, About should I yeah. alter my own behavior? <laughs> like, Amazing. that is, That's hey, you know, yeah. mm, chef's kiss. Yeah. That's perfect. Yeah, I wouldn't yeah. expect anything less of you, yeah. Stephen. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he, you know, like, again, he used to be kind of funny, but a- after, like, seeing, yeah. like, the way he's he, he's reacting to this, like, really serious stuff, it's like, no, nah, dog, like, you're not actually funny anymore. Um, you just kind of suck. So, right. yeah, moving, I don't know. Moving from Baxter and Stephen A., let's quickly touch on LeBron real quick. I do feel like yeah. <laughs> it's probably not a coincidence or an accident that as we're reading in great detail about the institution of the Lakers spiraling the out of deep, control deep, and their chaos. Almost nightmarish dysfunction. Yes, we are, of course, getting a firsthand view uh, via social media of LeBron James. So yeah. this was a video that came out on Memorial Day. LeBron had like a little Memorial Day barbecue cookout for he and some yeah, friends. Yeah, had like a little gathering among friends. And um, boy, oh among boy. Among them, Chris Paul, Russell Westbrook. Um, Tristan Thompson. Rich, yeah, Double T was there, yeah. his agent. Um, you know, a few other buddies, but not that many. No. I, I mean... 
like a circular table of maybe like a dozen people. Um, and it and was then a, and then there was a DJ. Yeah. There was also a DJ at this party. <laughs> That's right. Who you could just barely see uh-huh. in the distance across LeBron's like. 14 acre lawn um like way off in the corner so Uh, ben let's lay out just some of the basic facts of like what was happening at the party and then we can talk about the most troubling upsetting things about what we saw from the video so basically it was basically a a memorial day get together lebron it's a video of lebron and some friends smoking cigars and listening to some hip-hop music and mm-hmm. it's just, I feel Rapping like... Rapping along to the lyrics, just having like, a good old like time. like a classic Instagram stories of like guys in their 30s who are just like showing... Yeah. Just kind of like showing like, hey, this is this is us being cool. Like check out yeah, us being we're just, cool right now. Right, hanging out, having right. a party. I want to show, I want right. to let my fans in on this fun little moment. So there are a um, couple... Totally, totally harmless, totally innocuous. Absolutely. We really shouldn't no. be concerning ourselves with this. No, but... Uh, you know, as a disclaimer. What, what are the most concerning things about the video? For me... We know you, you. You pointed out to me that there was an enormous stack of gold crowns on. I mean, one let's of the not tables. even get to the gold crowns yet. Okay. Hang on, okay. <laughs> before we even touch on the gold crowns, because that that is definitely like the piece de resistance here. But be, before we even get there, it's a it's the, the video. The the DJ is is deeply troubling. He's so far away from everyone. There's no one within. 60 yards of this DJ. Um, He's at a little booth set up in like the corner of the lawn. Why is that so upsetting Um, to you? It just seems weird. I can't put my finger on it. I described it in a text as, um, as like, uh, like nightmare logic where um, you have a bad dream and you Mm -hmm. wake up and you try to explain it to someone and you're like, you don't know, like when you try to explain it uh, in English, it doesn't actually make sense why it would be scary. Yes. But like it just it just gave you this like um, this like sort of in like Honestly, um, man, it gave me like, indescribable feeling of like of dread. Um, it gave me like, like vibes of like Get Out, the movie Get Out, where mm, it's like mm-hmm. I can't really describe why this is so uncomfortable. There's I just something know, off about it. I just it. know there's something really off about this picture right now. It made me yeah. It made me think of like a, a nightmare that someone once described where they were in a house with two front doors doors mm. and it was just like wait why is that scary but then you like you're like but yeah you wait like, why would there be two yeah. and like but what does it mean to even how do you know there were two front doors maybe one was like a side door but it's like no 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 in my dream the logic of the dream made me realize there were two front doors yeah. and that just didn't make it was just wrong yeah. and it just made me like feel like this is this shouldn't be happening where am i what's going on uh how did i get here um, and that's kind of how I felt when I saw the DJ, the faraway DJ. Far away um, DJ. And then, yeah. so on top of that, mm-hmm. it's the video is taken in broad daylight. We don't know exactly what time of day it is, but it looks to be like the sun's pretty much, uh, you know, center high in the sky. And these guys um, are smoking cigars, which I don't know. Like, I'm not a cigar smoker. Maybe you can just smoke a cigar like casually at like 12 o'clock in the middle of the day. <laughs> but it seems to me the kind of thing that you do like towards the end of a night yeah. after like, you know, a few drinks of mm. a couple bottles of wine mm. have been burned through. Um, and I, like cigars, fi- I, I'm not for them. Uh, my father used to smoke them mm. before he quit. Mm. And uh, it was always kind of like a weird combination of like, oh, that kind of looks cool. And also it's kind of gross. Yeah. Um 
But like the idea of smoking them um, in broad daylight like a in, hot day? on a hot summer <laughs> LA day. God, like, s- says, like, like sitting in a chair, like, like sweating and smoking mm, a cigar. Warm Southern just California, having, have a nice cigar. Uh, yeah. Having the smoke like stick to you because you're all sweaty. Uh, um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know, man. Uh, whatever. Do you? I'm not going to judge. No, but yeah, that yeah. seemed also uh, kind of off. And then we have to talk about what was on the table. The crowns. Yeah. Um, it, in the in the background, it wasn't really a, a pr- prominently featured part of the video. It's not like LeBron like zoomed in on it and was like, yo, check out my crowns. They were just stacked there totally like nonchalantly. Um, but you could see over one of his shoulders because it was, you know, doing it selfie style. So, he, uh, you know, his face was to the camera. And then you, he would like p- kind of pan over to his friends and pan back and forth. But uh, in a few of the like moments of the video, you could see this sh- like I don't like he- like t- what ten foot tall stack yeah. of maybe like five or six like seem like legitimately like actual gold uh, or at least like gold plated metal. They seemed very large and very heavy uh, gold crowns. Um, but it wasn't. It clearly wasn't like a stru- like a like a art structure or like some sort of a you know sculpture or, or an, an art piece because there were other crowns kind of like scattered off to the side. There were like one or two that were like on, at an angle, so it looked like they were individual crowns stacked up, as if like it's LeBron's tower of crowns that he like gives out to people at at who come to his parties. Yeah, like you get a crown, or, you get a crown, that kind of thing. R- r- right, but they weren't like party crowns they were like actual fucking big heavy pieces of metal they were gigantic Um, crowns yeah (laughs) yeah and they were very gold and very like just kind of like yeah uh, um what's the word i'm looking for not like like garish garish maybe (laughs) um and and just kind of made me think like uh, and and like they weren't like stacked up in some like perfect formation where it was like you know very intentionally done it was literally they were just like thrown on there oh, yeah um and they were just sitting there kind of sad like next to some like empty cups it, it was like a st- you know almost like a stack of bean bags you know what i mean it was yeah. like they were just like casually like lumped on top of each other was this, right like, stack like of like crowns. right right next to the stack of like empty pizza boxes right you know right um, right like and <laughs> Right, and we didn't see anyone wearing a crown, so it didn't look like they had been passed out. Maybe they were there to be like, like dispersed later in the, in, the, in the party. It was like, are those just a stack yeah. of horseshoes? But like, they're like, no, those yeah. are gold crowns, giant gold. But they crowns. were fucking huge, <laughs> and they just begged so many questions. Like, yeah. does LeBron just have a stack of gold crowns at every party right. he throws? Uh, d- does he force his guests to wear them at a certain point? Right. Does he just have them there to like remind everyone, like I'm the king. My na- my yeah. nickname is King James. Yeah. So here's a reminder in case you right. forget what my nickname is. Right. It's a big stack of gold crowns. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Again, just like them sitting there in the middle of an empty, ta- otherwise empty table. Yes. In the middle of this like bright sunny day, just very Perplexing. troubling. Ben, yeah. so this leads me to the larger uh, thought question for you. We we take into consideration the Baxter piece. We take in, into consideration the crowns, the cigars, the faraway mm-hmm. DJ. How concerned are we about LeBron James and the Lakers? But LeBron is LeBron maybe spiraling a bit out of control? Is he? Are we worried about LeBron at this phase of his career? Um, you know, what, like what is possible? What is next? Are we think like, I don't know, like what, so how badly can this get? Like how bad? Yeah, this is, this is my hot take for the week, Chris. Mm -hmm. I think people are underrating exactly how weird things are going to get 
in LA yes. over the next three seasons. Um, Listen, people. I mean, hey, people move to Los Angeles and and weird things happen. Like it's right. That's just that's a fact. There's someone. It's that's a very lived, weird town. It's a very. It's a town with, there. I can I can yeah. I can attest that like. People definitely become weird after they move to LA. You, it's, yeah. it's just such a, it is such a uh, environment that is so conducive to like feeling good and like mm. like looking inward and doing things that make you feel good. People mm-hmm. start getting carried away, and I do feel yeah. like the cigar video is just the tip of that iceberg here with LeBron. And and here's the thing about that city, and I and I say this as someone who's never lived there. I have visited, uh, you know, a number of times, but I, you know, I have plenty of friends that have lived there. You among them, but it it feels to me like the kind of city where, like you said, it's all about feeling good. But if you get to a place where you're not feeling good, uh-huh. it's it's the way you deal with that and oh, process yeah. that oh, yeah. that I think the city does not really lend itself to very well that's right it's not it's and that's why i think it's just like like a lot of weird things happen there it's a city with a very dark uh kind of underbelly and dark history um and i just kind of feel like i don't you know hey whatever maybe you know a month from now they'll trade for anthony davis and you know chris paul and everything will be fine and they'll win two more championships before lebron retires that's also totally possible but if that doesn't happen and things like kind of go downhill and genie bus doesn't make any more any further decisions to write the ship in any way which i don't expect her to like i just feel like i don't know lebron's gonna lash out he obviously clearly already did lash out in some way this past season uh you know trying to orchestrate um this trade for half of his team um you you know again we're, we're talking um, about a season where the Lakers didn't make the playoffs, which largely was due to his, inj- you know, LeBron's injury. Um, you know, they could have easily been a playoff team. I think if things kind of just turned a little bit differently, um, but it just seems like they're on the precipice. Where like, yeah, it could they could be a playoff team. LeBron could kind of uh, you know go into the twilight and uh, very you know proudly and 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 with dignity. But I feel like if a, if a couple things don't land just right, like things could go downhill fast and get very weird. And, um, yeah, I mean, I'm kind of, <laughs> I mean, do I we, can't say, do, can we envision a future wherein LeBron is a far away DJ? <laughs> just putting that out there. <laughs> yeah. You know what? I, I think that's the perfect way to end the pod. Yeah. Um, uh, there it yeah, is. I don't know how. To, I don't know how to stop that. Um, All right, Ben. The uh, we'll see what happens. The NBA Finals continue this week. We have Game Three on Wednesday at Oracle Arena in Oakland. Um, thanks for hopping on the pod for a few minutes here. We will talk to you uh, next week. Enjoy watching the NBA Finals, man. All right, man. As always, my pleasure. Right, talk to you soon. Talk, talk soon. Right, Peace. All right, that was a conversation with Ben. Hope you enjoyed it. My name's Chris Wendelk, and this is On The Line. You can tweet at me at OnTheLine underscore pod. Find me on Instagram. Check out previous episodes on our website, OnTheLinePodcast.com. Please rate, review, subscribe to the show at Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get podcasts. Have a great week. Enjoy watching the NBA Finals, and I will talk to you guys in a little bit.